You're listening to the Authentic Leadership Podcast. Join Gabrielle Dolan as she interviews a range of prominent leaders about their experiences. Her guests share stories about challenges they have faced during their career, as well as important learning opportunities or moments of insight. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are encouraged to embrace authenticity and real communication. Welcome to this episode of Authentic Leadership, where I have the pleasure and I'm really looking forward to interviewing Deanne Stewart, who is the CEO of Aware Super. And uh, I first met Deanne a few years ago because we are both members of the International Women's Forum. So welcome, Deanne. Thank you, Gabrielle. Um, Awesome to be with you. I know. I'm so excited for you to be here. Now, I thought before we get into the questions, Aware Super, not everyone may know of, be aware of Aware Super. (laughs) (laughs) So tell it, because I think it's a bit of an amalgamation of a few things. So tell us sort of the brief history of Aware Super. That That is true. It used to be known as First State Super. But after merging with Vic Super and WA Super and all of them being state-based names, we essentially came up with Aware Super. And now it's one of the largest super funds in Australia. It's, it's a beautiful fund. It's open to all Australians. But because of its history, it um, has in its member base so many teachers and nurses and doctors and firefighters and paramedics and you know, pretty awesome people that are on the front line really supporting the community. So it's a very community-minded, a very responsible, a very sustainable type of fund that happens to be one of the biggest and best performing. So it's just a privilege. Mm -hmm. I I just love the fact that you described it as a beautiful um, fund and which, you know, when you were talking about it, it's interesting. I've got my two daughters who are just about to turn 18 and 21 and we're um, giving them for their respective big birthdays money to put into a super fund and getting them involved really quickly from the start to say there's, there's all these different funds you can get involved in. And they both said, we want it to be we want it to be ethical, um, but then my other daughter said, oh, it's ethical, but how do you make the choice between ethical and actually returning on investment? I go, well, you don't have to make that choice because, uh, and I Correct. did say, I go, you know, my friend, Deanne. <laughs> Good on you. I've got, the, I've got the paperwork if they like or the okay, app. Okay, we'll send it over. Oh, we got the app. So there we go. We okay, excellent. Um, Hi, for, I've got another question though, because why, <laughs> before we get into the, why aware, is it, what, yeah. I mean, I assume name, naming, naming a company is big, why aware super? Do you know, and it, it, once again, it does come back down to the stories and the communities that you serve, isn't it? Like, if you think about the people that we serve, they are so community minded. And funnily enough, it came from myself and one other person talking and we were talking about how proud we were to serve them and the word we kept using was they are so aware of the role that they play in the community but also there's way too many Australians that aren't aware enough of their superannuation and so it just worked on multiple levels it sort of represented our members and it also represented what we wanted all of our members to be aware so mm-hmm. um and it starts with a you know it, it, it works on all fronts <laughs> Beautiful. It's a wonder you didn't call it a aware. <laughs> well, we did contemplate aardvark, but oh, yeah, you know, aardvark, yeah. <laughs> aardvark, that didn't super. work so well. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna 
I'm going to ask you a few questions before we get into, I mean, this podcast is all around authentic leadership and stuff like that. So we would get into work stuff, but before we get into that stuff, more about you. So um, where did you grow up? Tell us about your childhood growing up. Yeah, I grew up in uh, country New South Wales in uh, a town called Bathurst, which most people know because of the races, Mm -hmm. the the Bathurst 1000. So I was pretty good driver, you know, learning on the mountain. <laughs> no, actually, I'm a really bad driver. Um, and it was I, just, I think you know, anyone who grew up in the country, whether, they, whether they're good or bad, they certainly learn to drive really. <laughs> that is true. I just happened to learn to drive on a racetrack. <laughs> um, but no, so a wonderful childhood growing up in the country, uh, two parents that are teachers. So it was, uh, you know, um, that was also pretty awesome to have mum and dad as teachers, uh, particularly when I was in high school because they were both good science teachers. So, um, yeah, so that that's sort of my background. And, and then I moved to Sydney when I was 18. Mm-hmm. You've got any siblings? Yes, I have. Um, I am the eldest, so that does explain mm-hmm. a lot about me. Yes, that, that explains <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and then I have a younger sister and a younger brother. Uh, okay. I love it when you when people tell you they're the oldest or the youngest, and you just go, "Yes, that explains yes, a lot." Yeah, just to, yeah. just to just to mess with their head, and you don't even know. I don't even know what it's explaining. But oh, I, I totally own it. You know, it's that sort of responsible. Yes, mode. I was going to say it's a little bit bossy. You know, a little little, little bit playing the role oh. of the parent, even though no one gave you that role type thing. Are they? Um, I'd imagine being uh, teachers, they're very proud of uh, the super fun you're now running. They really are. And it was part of the reason I was, when I first got the phone call, would I consider being the CEO of First Aid Super, now Aware Super? I just, I had this flashback to mum and dad. And as teachers, they were obviously members. um, Well, my dad was a member in the fund, but also having seen, you know, them growing up, but also squirreling away the extra money into super and then seeing them in their retirement, they, you know, are living a really good retirement. This was all pre-COVID, of course, when they could travel and do amazing things that they just didn't get the opportunity to during their working careers. And so it sort of worked for me on different dimensions, but mum and dad therefore are very proud and they have lots of their friends that are like, you said this in this document and what did you mean by this? I'm like, oh, crikey, I've got an army of people making sure I do the right thing. <laughs> Isn't it funny? It doesn't matter how old we get, we still want to make our parents proud. Oh, <laughs> that's so true. So true. <laughs> um, what, what was your first job? My first job was actually in a cafe uh, in Bathurst. And I still remember it so vividly because I really hated it when people ordered a cappuccino. And I don't know what it was about the milk that this cafe ordered, but the milk wouldn't froth. <laughs> and so I would always stress out when someone said they wanted a cappuccino. I'd be like, oh, how do I make this work? And then I just learned what great service was about because I would just smile and make them feel great. And they rarely complained to the fact that their cappuccino had no froth. <laughs> she just said, well, we've got a special on the flat white today, would you <laughs> Would you like that? How, how, how old? How, like how old were you when you worked there? Oh, probably 15, 16. Oh, yeah. yeah, those first jobs. Yeah. First jobs. <laughs> did, did you even drink coffee back then? Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. I was definitely a tea drinker at that coffee. I was like, what was that? 
Mm. <laughs> I remember my first job was in a supermarket, sort of going around, not stacking shelves like at night, but sort of putting yeah. stuff back on the shelves during the day while it was open. And of course, I had no idea where things went. And I'd always see mum and her friends and I'd go around, where does this go? Where does this go? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it didn't last long there. No. Um, and so you you lived up, you grew up in Bathurst. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? And you and you left at eighteen. So why did you leave for uni or what yeah. did you leave? Yeah, I got this amazing. Um, it's called a co-op scholarship. So the Uni of New South Wales has these co-op scholarships, and they basically pay. You know, they give you a certain amount of money towards your university, um, but they also allow you to do work experience. And so it was a great way of. I stayed on college on campus there at Uni of New South Wales, but I also had this amazing opportunity to work. My first year, it was Commonwealth Bank. Second year, it was Kellogg's. And then third year, it was uh, Coca-Cola. So it was pretty awesome to sort of come out of university, having worked in three different organisations, and actually at least got the lay of the land of what is this concept of business all about? You know, what does marketing, what does finance do? What does accounting do? So, yeah, it was it was pretty awesome um, That's to be amazing. able to do it. That's some impressive three uh, companies to work for. <laughs> your first three of the bat. That's an impressive start to the CV. Yeah, yeah. It certainly helps, <laughs> particularly mm. as a country kid. Like I, you know, I hardly knew anyone in Sydney. I certainly did not have the connections. And it was a really, it was an incredibly positive way for someone that I, I probably couldn't have afforded university if I didn't get the scholarship. And so not only did it help from that perspective, but it obviously helps you almost start straight away with connections that you otherwise wouldn't have. And, did, and you, you didn't, you, you never moved back? You pretty much stayed in Sydney? I stayed in Sydney for quite some time until I was, a, I think it was 24 or 25. And then I lived, I, I once again, I, I got this amazing scholarship. To, it's, I sound like I live my life through scholarships, but I, I really don't, um, to do an MBA over it. Yale so I went and did an MBA over there which was just two of the most fabulous years of my life Um, and then lived and worked overseas for 11 years so um, yeah so I came back um, 11 years later. Wow so Mm. so I want to explore the fact that you know you said all the two scholarships first of all you've got to apply for scholarships (laughs) to get them yeah Yeah, what what tell me how a 24 year old uh woman from Bathurst decides I'm going to apply for a scholarship to go to Yale? (laughs) Well, now this is a story and it's (laughs) quite a long story, so I'm going to try and give you the abridged version, Um, but it is a truthful story. I, you know, and I think that this is such an Australian spirit, isn't it? I knew, I was wanderlust, right? I wanted to go live and work overseas. I just thought I want to go and experience that. That's pretty amazing. But I also had been by this amazing mentor of mine, sort of, she said, look, if you get a chance to do an MBA, and actually you're such an ideas person, if you get a way of actually learning how to create frameworks and really structure your thinking, that would be awesome. So I thought, well, I'll try and marry the two, but I couldn't afford to do an MBA overseas. So I thought, oh, I'll apply for some scholarships. And so I got this amazing Fulbright scholarship um, and it, I mean, it really was just the most, the biggest honour to have been given it. But by the end of that month, I had to let them know what MBA program I was in. Now, I didn't really apply for the MBA programs until I knew I had the scholarship. 
So I had a few of the applications ready, but I, I hadn't set the GSAT exams. I hadn't finished the applications. Um, but by that point, I hadn't realised that quite a few of the universities, like your Harvards and your um, uh, Whartons, had closed. So I was calling up these different MBA programs in the US, and I happened to actually um, call the Dean of Admissions for Yale. He picked up the phone late at night. I explained my circumstances, even though the Yale MBA program had closed. And he said, look, if you get your application in this week, you sit the exam, we'll, we'll have a look at it. And then by the end of that week, he'd, they'd called back and basically said, you're in. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> so that's how I got to go to Yale. Sometimes it is a bit of luck together with determination. Sometimes right? <laughs> it is. I'm sure it was a combination of you probably felt sorry for you, but you, you clearly probably. must have um, <laughs> well, shown a determination, I think. Yeah. A, a lot of, you know, again, a lot of people would, wouldn't have applied it in the first place or go, oh, I've missed the boat. I, you know, like everything's closed. So some, some show some real determination there. I wanted to ask about uh, who has been your biggest influence uh, growing up or, or maybe just during your early career. Who's who's had the biggest influence on you? I mean, I guess certainly growing up it was mum and dad. They were amazing and absolute, you know, uh, taught me about the importance of, quite frankly, unconditional love resilience and confidence. They were the three things that they would say again and again and I've never ever let you know I've never forgotten that but I think early in my career it was an amazing woman who has passed away her name was Sheena Stoke and she one of my first um, uh, real job out of uni was at at that time it was Bankers Trust or BT Funds Management and Sheena was just this incredible woman who ran marketing there and she was one of the only senior females but also had come from a fast-moving consumer goods which you know, for a whole bunch of investment people, they're like, what is that, you know? Mm. Um, and so she was just an incredible mentor to me. But interestingly, she went on a sabbatical and then was diagnosed with breast cancer. And before I went to go overseas to do my MBA program, she said, I really want to catch you for a coffee. And I was like, oh, okay, that would be an honour before I head. Um, and at this point, she was really ill and she said, the reason I wanted to catch you for a coffee is that out of all the people that I've ever worked with, you are the one that reminds me the most of myself. And I actually really do think that a lot of the reason I have this cancer is that I just stressed out so much and I worked too hard and I made it, I obsessed too much rather than had real balance in my life. And oh, I cannot even begin to describe what an impact that had on me. And I could see it in my nature. I, you know, I am a perfectionist by, uh, by my nature, but it's just had this incredible calming. So while she was an amazing mentor, while she was alive, she's been an amazing mentor um, since passing because I've definitely got myself in moments where that perfectionist tendency can still come out, particularly in moments of great stress and just going, you know what, life is so full and rich and wonderful. You know, it isn't just about this moment and just having perspective to that. So, so yeah, yeah, mm. pretty amazing mentor. Wow, what an absolute gift that yeah. that was to to make sure that she she got you and shared that with you. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing gift. That's yeah. You talk we you know often talk about people leaving a legacy and making a difference. Um, 
just, I mean, clearly she made a difference with everything she had done for you while she was alive, but that, that, that coffee yeah. has stayed yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting too, that just even the, the few stories you've shared, um, what, I've, what I've got is this, this resilience and this confidence. So it was really interesting to say that that's, that's sort of what your parents <laughs> would always um, instill in you, that message around that. What, what do you think has been one of the biggest challenges you've faced in your career? Have you got one or just several or a recent one? <laughs> every day, every week. No. <laughs> um, no, and look, I wow, and I think anyone that says that they haven't had challenges in their career is either lying or incredibly lucky or um, maybe not self-aware enough. I've definitely had moments of real challenge and you know, definitely when I reflect on those moments, I would also say they have been moments that often then produce the greatest growth in you, right? And you don't necessarily know that or feel that at the time because they suck. Mm. <laughs> but when you look back on them, you know, you really do um, grow. Probably when I hear that question, I often think of this particular moment in my career where, um, you know, I'd been promoted into this role. It was a huge role. It continued to increase in scope and so I think from the outside you would have all everyone would have gone wow that's amazing and aren't you so lucky um but it was also a role that was um so broad in its scope and I'm not sure I was a hundred percent um you know right across that to begin with but then also secondly um not really aligned with the values of the organisation as well. And so I had this sort of inner turmoil inside actually through that period where actually I definitely, well, not actually, I definitely, I felt misaligned to the culture. I looked at the group exec and I thought, I don't see myself in them. Uh, and I don't think I brought my best to that. And through that period, it was a really tough period and I ended up leaving um, and that was a really tough moment but I've been able to reflect back on that and go wow that taught me so much about what leadership is and isn't the type of leader I want to be but more importantly to never work for an organization where you aren't completely aligned with the values with the leadership with the purpose um, because ultimately you might look like you're successful, but that doesn't make you happy. Mm. It's so, one of, um, it's interesting when you're saying that, and I guess, it's, you know, this pod, podcast is called Authentic Leadership. To me, when you're saying that, it's like that, that's one of the big elements of authentic leadership is to, to know that this company or the manager, we're not aligned. And it's, I think when you get misalignment of values, that's, you got to, I think you just got to make a call to leave or to, to stay yeah and it's harder than it sounds because mm. I if I if I think back to that time well first of all I was like well why do I have this feeling and it doesn't seem like anyone else does secondly I thought well no the culture around me I can really impact that and make that the way I want well yes you can have micro cultures but ultimately if it rubs against the <laughs> the culture of the organization that doesn't work so well but also you know, trusting yourself that if you take that leap of faith and go, this is not right, this is not me, not having it sit all on your shoulders. And I think at the time I was actually letting it all sit on my shoulders and thinking it was my problem. So it's probably only with hindsight that I've been able to sort of work that through and mm. go, actually, 
I get what's going on here and what I owned and what I didn't own. Yeah. Was, was there a was there a like a, a certain point that where you became crystal clear that it wasn't you and you needed to go? Because I'd, ima- I'd imagine there's a lot of things, little things can happen and you sort of go, oh, that doesn't, I wouldn't do it that way or it doesn't seem right, but you can let things go a bit. Was there a, is it, was it a gradual build-up or was there a time that you said, no, nah, this is this is it? Yeah, no, there was. I absolutely, I remember this moment so crystal clear in that um, we were making a determination of something that we needed to do strategically and I spoke up about, well, I just don't think that that's the right thing to do by customers. And I remember um, the uh, CEO turning to me and going, Deanne, this is in front of all my senior peers going, this is not a not-for-profit. It's time you stop acting like it is and just shut me down completely. And I just remember having tears well up in my eyes, just going, what just happened there? And, uh, yeah, it was at that moment I was like, what are you doing, Deanne? This is just so, like, A, that was just such an inappropriate comment, but also, B, this is just not you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it, I, I remember that moment so distinctly. Yeah. Did you get any support from your colleagues at the time or afterwards? Or Yeah, like some amazing, I mean, you know, in, in every organisation that I've ever worked at, you know, you there are some amazing people and they're often hidden, hiding under rocks. Mm. I had some amazing, um, I would say, friends um, and they're really dear friends now that really helped through that period. Yeah, good on you. Good on you for saying that. Um, okay, so what's what's been the biggest highlight or one highlight that you always gives a smile to your face? Oh, I'd have to say it's my my job now. I mean, honestly, it is my dream job and it's I truly do believe it's a privilege to run Aware Super and lead the team. It's a pretty amazing organisation, as I said. Um, but I think it's just the combination of things for me, right? It's like my own personal purpose is really just helping people grow, develop and flourish. And so getting to lead an organisation where you get to do that, but you also get to have such a meaningful impact on the lives of so many Australians. We have over a million members. um, And as I mentioned, they're just such amazing members, so many of them with the roles that they do in superannuation. And it really is about people's um, having dignity in retirement and trying to help as many people live the best possible retirement that they can um, and it's it's an organisation that has deep values and is not for profit, so it's it's profit to member. Um, and so all of that collectively is just like, wow, <laughs> I, I get to run this organisation. This is pretty amazing. <laughs> and, and it's and not it, without its challenges, right? No, I'm not, well, I don't I'm, want to be Pollyanna-ish, but it is, it's a I'm pretty gonna, amazing. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what your challenges are, the very next question, but I'm sort of thinking, you know, as a member, I'd feel very confident because I know if you don't deliver, you've got to answer to your mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and my sister. And, and your sister. No. I'd be like, don't worry, don't worry about the shareholders thing. I, I'm going to get in trouble off mum and dad and, you know, and my little sister will give me a mouthful too. So so what, what, what are the challenges? What's some of the challenges in your role? Um, there's probably a, a couple of challenges, but at the moment one of the, the biggest challenges is having, um, well, both running a beautiful organisation that's had such beautiful DNA and and deep values but is in an industry that's changing pretty radically 
and the organisation it needs itself needs to change with that and transform and have a really clear competitive advantage. So it's helping the organisation transform and change but not lose what's really special. It's member first, it's beautiful values in that process. So that's a biggie. And then because we've just gone through a couple of mergers and we've suddenly emerged as one of the largest funds, it's and we've done that all through COVID, you know, really bringing... Um, the whole organisation together to really rally and be one organisation in the middle of COVID where you just don't naturally have that same advantage of being all together in the one room where you can connect so much more easily. Um, that has certainly been challenging. Mm. I am um, one of the things I'd want to ask you, and, and I'm not I'm not going to focus on the challenges of the last 18 months because it's just been <laughs> way too many. Um, and as and as we're recording this, you are in Sydney and in lockdown, and I'm and I'm in Melbourne, and just bloody freaking relieved we're not in lockdown. Um, You're a bird. I know. Um, what's the silver lining? I think what for. Maybe answer this two ways. For you personally, what has been the silver lining of, you know, the last 18 months? And and I guess as, as a company in a professional settings, what's been the silver lining for you? Oh, look, a silver lining for sure um, has been being able to be around the family more, right? I mean, you know, when the kids come home from school, um, you know, just steps away, checking on them, how they're doing, homeschooling now, checking that my 13-year-old boy is actually doing some schoolwork. Um, but just being able to be more present um, is, is pretty awesome because obviously when you're in these type of roles, um, the hours are quite demanding and historically it's all been office-based, right? So that side and having more flexibility, um, it's been something that I've always deeply believed in and wanted and tried to manufacture in roles and talk about very loudly. I've always talked about flexibility, but people have often looked at me weirdly up until COVID about what is this whole thing about flexibility and why you want to spend more time with your family. And then the second is, you know, every morning I get up, I listen to podcasts, including yours, and go for a run. And just having that time, not having to commute um, has been a real blessing as well. Mm. Well, it's good you're using that time because there's so many other people that, um, and I think it's one of the sad things, you would think we've got an extra two hours in our day, you know, on the average commute, but people have filled that with meetings and, you know, the back-to-back Zoom meetings and it was like, how did that happen? Why, why, did, yeah. why did they choose to fill that extra hour with work as opposed to going for a run or sitting down having breakfast with the kids? Yeah. Oh, I once had a coach that had this awesome saying and she said the best way of um, having joy in your life to be able to take on any challenge is to be really clear of your boundaries mm. right and what are those couple of things that you've absolutely got to get in your life to really make sure that you're really level setted um, and that there is joy. And so for me, family and exercise <laughs> and sleep <laughs> are, my, uh, are my absolute necessities. Do you put it in the diary? Do you schedule your exercise oh, I, in the diaries? Yeah. So my yeah. EA knows not to schedule any meetings before 8.30. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, same. that's my exercise time. It's my time to just, you know, get lots of energy so that for the rest of the day, I can do what I need to do. Yeah, I think it's one of the, especially when someone else is controlling your diary, um, and, and a lot of times that's that's the case, 
get put it in your diary put it in your diary yeah. i love that really clear on your boundaries i think um I, i'm always a big believer because you know i've uh when our kids were growing up or when i grow up they're, they're 17 and 20 so they're still growing up um but i i scheduled i didn't do delivery school holidays so it was just mm. a non-negotiable that i didn't do and you know look sometimes something would come up but it would be a discussion with the family to say oh, i have to fly wherever to do this um and people would go, well, how do you say no to clients? And yeah. I go, well, if I say yes to that client that wants me to do something smack bang in the middle of school holidays, I'm saying no to my family. And, yeah. you know, no matter how much I love my clients, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love my kids more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, uh, there's, uh, yeah, I, I need to dig deeper on why people just, whether it's the confidence or the insecurity not to say no to that Um not sure what it is. You said your kids, so you got a thought at 13-year-old boy and Yeah, two teenagers, a 13-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. So uh good age. Yeah, they, <laughs> it is it's pretty awesome age, except for the occasional teenage tude. Yeah, it's it's always <laughs> but right. other than that, they are beautiful human beings. Yeah. I love this, I love the stages of kids where you're yeah. sort of, oh, that was a really good stage. And then you know, they go like, oh, that's really good. And oh my know. god, the other day we you know, in on your computer, you start looking through all the old photos and videos and just seeing them in those stages and the little videos that we took. Oh, it's just so beautiful, isn't it? It's like, oh, my God, what happened to that person? Yeah. I think the cool thing, too, about um, kids, and this is probably teenage kids, too, is it's they let you know. They let you know when you're doing something. And um, I think it's good, you know, it's good for leaders as well. I mean, not that you have to have kids to be a good leader. I don't think you need to go to that extreme. Just, yeah. just don't have kids to be a good leader. Yeah. But some of the things they remind you of and tell you of in your behaviour, um, it's a good mirror. It's a good mirror to have. I um, I love quotes. I've, I've just got so many different quotes I love and I. And What's your favourite one? Oh, so many. Oh, I'm turning um, the questioning back on. I know. You. <laughs> Look at you. Look at you. Um, well, I think one of my favourites is it'll be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, it's not the end. Mm. So just, you know, and it, like a lot of people go, oh, so you failed at that. I go, oh, not failure because it's, mm. you know, just playing a long-term game. So that's that's one of my favourites. And I think just when we're talking about boundaries, one of my other favourites is to be successful, you've got to be good at saying yes, but to remain successful, you've got to be get very good at saying no. Oh, so that is boundaries, right? Yeah, that that's boundaries. So true. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask if you have a favourite quote and, and if so, why does it resonate with you so much? It can be one of your own quotes. You can just make it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do have a quote that comes straight to mind. I do not know where the quote's from, but um, in a previous organisation, I remember us putting it up on the wall because it had such meaning. And it was um, that every ordinary person is capable of extraordinary things. And for me, I think the reason I just, I've just always loved that quote is, you know, particularly as a country girl, um, is that, you know, no matter who you come across, they've just got so much potential and sure we're not all going to be great at the same things but you know the role of a leader is to sort of unlock that potential in everyone and to actually see it for what it is um and so you know 
I think we often put people up on pedestals way too much. Uh, the reality is most people that are doing extraordinary things are ordinary people that have just really believed in them, been surrounded by people that have believed in them and absolutely gone for it. If so, I um, if I spoke to members of your team, which I do, <laughs> not about you, but um, if I did, do, do, would you be happy with that description that you help unlock potential? I would say on my best days, absolutely, uh, and on my worst days, no. So I think it's definitely where I get my energy from and, you know, almost a week wouldn't go by where I'm not having coffee catch-ups or meeting people and just sort of trying to tap into what they're doing and sort of encourage them along and then sort of set the bar high for others and, and see them just go for it and go, that's pretty awesome. So that actually, that's where I get the greatest thrill from. So I do do that relatively natural. Um, the reason I hesitated is that on the other side, you know, we all have good and bad in us, don't we? I, I think because of that perfectionist tendency in me, occasionally that, that side of, well, hold on a moment, let's go here, let's go here. Uh, they would go, D, okay, let's just settle. <laughs> Keep raising um, the bar for them. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's both sides and you ultimately want that to be a positive rather than a negative. And mm. on most days, I think it is positive, but occasionally it can, it, it can play against me as well. Yeah. Well, I think um, any strength overdone is a weakness. Yeah, and correct. Perfectionism <laughs> is, you know, it's good, but overdone, it, it can be. Are you, are you aware of that? Are you aware when you come home from a day and go, God, that was a tough day and God, I wish I had have done that differently or handled that. Are you, are you aware of it or? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I, look, for me, I do think so much of your role as a leader and whether you can be effective does start with self-reflection and self-awareness, doesn't it? Because mm. if you don't do that and acknowledge that, you'll never grow and you'll never um, bring people on the journey. So I do um, because that, and once again, if I go back to the good side and the bad side, being that perfectionist or wanting to do the very best, it does naturally make you um, more reflective of like, okay, did that work? What didn't, I, okay, I really screwed up here. And, you know, if that's the case, that's fine. Acknowledge it. Go, you know, there's definitely been times where I've gone back to people and I'm like, oh, look, I didn't really, I don't think that came across the way I meant it to, you know, here's where I think we're going awesome and here's how I can help you and, you know, go back and authentically mm. uh, acknowledge it and, and move on. Yeah, I remember I worked uh, a few years ago, I worked with a company in Vietnam. He was an American guy, Chris Freund, the CEO of um, Mekong Capital, and I actually interviewed him on this podcast and I remember him, he, he talked about the amazing uh, transformational leadership journey that he went on. And he said one of his biggest learnings from was that every time something didn't go right, he would just ask himself, what have I done to contribute to this? Mm. And I think it's a really good thing because, you know, it could be, well, they didn't get it. It was like, well, did you not communicate it properly or that someone never told you about this? And it was like, well, what have I done in the past that people didn't feel comfortable telling me about that? Or what? So I think that's just a great question leaders could ask. What? Are, not even leaders, anyone really. What did I do to contribute to this? Yeah. Because I'm sure you did something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, 
Yeah, I think actually what you've just described then is making sure that um, what you are doing is not driven by ego, but driven by the right intent. And I often, you know, whether it's in yourself or whether it's in others, I'll often see people be like, oh, they just don't get it. Or it's like, uh, they don't get it. You've got a role to play in that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not their job to get it. It's your yeah. job to help them get it. Yeah. Um, so one of the uh, the things you know, I'm the founder of Jargon Free Friday. So I always <laughs> like to ask, do you have any corporate jargon phrases <laughs> that you just hate? <laughs> even if it's a oh, current, definitely... even if it's a current one that's annoying you at the moment. Well, I have one that I just giggle at every time, and particularly having worked in the states, and because I see it having crept into Australian language in corporates, is um, why don't you just reach out? Um, reach I'm just going to reach out to that person, and you know, and I'm like, reach out. Like, I don't want to. I'm sorry, I don't want to be manhandled. <laughs> Um, it's so it's like you mean you just want to chat or you want yeah. to have coffee or we'll contact them reach out, reach or contact reach them. Out. yeah yeah it's it's crept into our vocab so much that that was in America all the time when I lived there I would laugh when someone would say oh let's reach out and I'm yeah like, okay I'm looking forward to you reaching out <laughs> so I'm not sure that's what you're after but no 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 reach out reach out and you know I'll reach out and circle back <laughs> <laughs> Reach out and run it up the flagpole, and then circle back. And I was like, oh, "God, seriously, yeah, no, reach out is a good one." I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think I'm say that. I don't think I do anyway. Okay, I'm going to end. I'm going to end with um, a few quick questions. To mm-hmm. end. These are the three questions I ask everyone. What is the one meal you love cooking? Do you? Oh, first am- of all, do you cook? <laughs> I do, but badly. That's why I laughed. Um, so my favourite is a simple one. <laughs> uh, chicken, maple syrup chicken on couscous, and it's a lovely Donahay recipe. Maple syrup? I was going to say when you said that, I thought you might have got that from America, but it's a Donahay recipe. Mm-hmm. Maple syrup and chicken on couscous. All right. Sort of sounds semi-healthy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the maple syrup's very healthy. Natural. <laughs> is that is that like you know? Is that the um the version of the nineteen seventies lemon chicken or something? Like that? It works for my kids and my family. Uh, you know, so isn't it one of the issues when you're cooking for four people or five? Is just coming up with a meal that everyone likes. I look. I'm one of eight children. Right. So I look back and when my my mum's a brilliant cook and we would almost, almost have exactly the same meals every, every night. So Monday was this, blah, 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 blah. And mum would, mum would often, and you sort of thought, I didn't, well, I didn't think anything of it at the time because it was all good meals, but mum just must've found everyone at least likes this meal and I'm going to cook it. And she, she did experiment a lot, but I look back now as a child and mum would experiment and we'd all go, what's in this? What's this? <laughs> she would just go, God, say, just try it. I think it comes with having a family of eight. So my husband's the youngest of eight. And they did the same thing. It was like Monday, lamb cutlets and veggies. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way you can survive, surely. Yeah, yeah. So I now, I, I think I've spoiled them because I'm an, I've, I took after my mum and I love cooking and I love experimenting with cooking. And I'll go, what about? 
about this for tonight? And someone will go, oh, it's not my favourite. I'll go, it doesn't have to be your favourite. It's <laughs> Tuesday night. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, maple syrup with chicken, Donna Hay recipe. What's your favourite 80s song or artist? Oh, 80s. <laughs> Well, I'm, There's I'm, so much to choose from. I'm just, I'm just I am figured, an 80s girl. Um, yeah, I could tell you're an 80s girl. Eurythmics. Um, <gasps> Eurythmics. Sweet Dream, Annie oh. Lennox. Oh, I loved her. Love, love, loved her. Have you seen them live? Uh, no, I was never lucky enough to see them live. Hmm. That was closely followed by Terence Trent Darby. Oh. Sign your name. Sign your name across, across my, my heart. heart. <laughs> Did you play that song? Was that your wedding song or something? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I always, I used to love that song too, and I thought, wouldn't it be a really cool wedding song? Like, you know, sign your name across my heart. Uh, anyway, it, it wasn't my wedding song either. I <laughs> grew out of it really quickly. Okay, final, final question. If you could give one piece of advice to your 20-year-old self, what would it be? I feel like I'm going to cheat here, but I have actually carried forward mum and dad's three things, which is the importance of unconditional love, resilience and confidence because they are as true today as they were then. And whenever I get myself in hot water, I do come back to those three things. So. Yeah. yeah well, that's not, that's that's not cheating, isn't it? That's literally saying, you know what, you know what, mum and dad Stick say to you all the time, and you go, all right, <laughs> exactly. all right. All Actually, right, that is a good me. point. Twenty-one um, years of age, I was like, what do mum and dad know? But now exactly. I can um, go forward and go. You know what? That was really good advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we and yeah, we always realize our parents were right when our kids are telling us we're wrong. So, <laughs> although I'm sure they're very, not. very, that true. is very good advice. Unconditional love resilience and confidence and it's sort of um yeah regardless of what we're in and what you're doing uh that'll get you through most things i would imagine correct dan thank you so much for being part of the authentic leadership podcast you uh live and breathe authentic leadership just from our chat today as a as the listeners i no doubt will attest to um thank you for being part of it good luck on growing Aware Super and making a difference to all your people in your fund, but most importantly, keeping your mum and dad proud. (laughs) Thanks, Gabrielle. I really enjoy the conversation. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Authentic Leadership Podcast. We welcome your suggestions for leaders you would like to hear from in future episodes.